What is going on, folks? Welcome to another edition of Internal Budget. Brandon Mackey, staff writer for Silver7Sends.com with you as always. And boy, do we have a fan-centric episode for you today because joining me is a Sens Twitter celebrity. It's rare that we get them, but when we do, it is a very special treat. He is the original Sens sicko, the pioneer behind the meme. It is Chris, a.k.a. Brochensky. How are you doing, sir? It's a pleasure to have you on. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Of course, of course. So for those who don't know, why don't you tell the people how you got into being a Sens fan, how you ended up being cursed as a fan of this crazy little team? Uh, yeah, so I guess it all started when um, I guess my family moved to Ottawa in, I think, around 98. Um, and we were from Nova Scotia. the year I was born, just so you know. Oh, oh and I'm feeling old. <laughs> And, um, yeah, we moved here and like my dad, he was a Habs fan. Um, he's from Quebec and, you know, he started going to games. He started taking me to games and that was right around when the Sens were becoming a playoff team and they were like super infectious. Like they're just, they were a playoff team with all guys under 25 and my dad fell in love with them, became a Sens fan. And then, yeah, through him, I guess just, I became a Sens fan too. And, you know, it was easy to follow the team back then they were winning all the time. Yeah, and there are you seeing some of those parallels now? I like asking everybody who saw that team uh, grow this question because you know the Sens are a young team now. Obviously, they're not at that point yet where they're in contention. But are you seeing some kind of the same things with this young team growing together? Um, I, I guess the similarity is is that all their best players are their young guys, and like that, just like. Like, like it just gives you so much optimism when, when all the best guys are young. Cause you know, like those young guys are only going to get better. Um, I, I do think that the core of those teams back then, like, I think they had a bit more quality young guys. Like they did, like they had some pretty high end guys that I, like, I think those a core that good is kind of hard to replicate. I think that's kind of a, that's a high standard to hold them to, but definitely is like, I think, you know, I mean, I guess Stutzla, he definitely is that high end guy, but yeah, it's, it's, it's that same like infectious, like positivity that's going through the fan base is, is just a sense that there's nowhere to go, but up from now. I think at one point uh, they had a line of like, I don't know if it was in the 2003 playoffs or whatever, but they had a line of Spezza have Latin Hosa at one oh. time. So I don't know if this current iteration of the senators is quite there yet. Um, but yeah, I, I think from everything I, I've learned about that team, you know, going back and looking at them is there's some similarities in the way that the youth is driving the rebuild and the push into contention. And where you've kind of made a little following for yourself is on Twitter in this great senators community that we have. Why don't you talk to me a little bit about that? Because I just kind of strolled onto the scene in like 2018-ish, around there. I think it was near the end of the 2017 run that I was uh, on Twitter briefly as my Silver 7 fan alias, Carl Sons of Anarchy. But you're a guy who's been around uh, on the Twitter scene a while now. So, so talk to me about how the community has kind of evolved and how it has turned into this monster that we, that we see today. It's it's actually the Sens online community. I think it's always kind of been strong. I think I started, I think it was right, I think it was in the off season of, I think it was 2011 when it hopped on. That was right when it, it was kind of taking off. It's that bloggers were starting to get Twitter accounts. All the guys from TSN were getting their Twitter accounts. It, it just kind of started as a way to have something to read during commercial breaks and intermissions. And then just kind of, and then, you know, I got into tweeting and stuff. And, but like, I think it was always there because like in like the Sens are kind of sandwiched between Toronto and Montreal. If you're tier a Sen, like you're just trying to get as many viewers as you can. Obviously talking about the Sens is going to do that. So the Sens get kind of left behind. So I think the Sens online community has, has always been strong. Like some of those blogs, like Sens Chirp, Six Sens, um, yeah, Silver Seven Sens, they've always been there um, as, as long as I've been around. And like, I, it's just, it's continued to grow and this is definitely the biggest it's ever been. It's the Sens only community has never been bigger. And it's, and I think it's uh, in a way it's kind of become a, like kind of like a support group. It's like, 
like the rest of the city, like, like when the Sens are losing the rest of the city, like they lose that bug. People start, stop talking about the Sens, but the online community, it's like you still have people there chatting about it and trying to make it fun, even when the team's losing. And that's what this season has really been. Is it one of those things, do you think, where that gap in mainstream coverage kind of fostered this culture of fan engagement? Yeah, I think it totally has. Like, you see so many people from other fan bases on Twitter saying, like, how much fun the Sens online community is. And, like, it, it's purely just that. Like, I really do think it's just because, like, there, there's so little, even, like, local, uh, I mean, local coverage is, like, like the Leafs and Habs get talked about so much. Um, and, like, it's, yeah, like, it's really the, the online community is, I think, it's their strengths. And even with, uh, like, the guys from TSN 1200, like, they're kind of like the one outlet that uh, that talks about the Sens. And those guys are big on Twitter too. Those guys are on there all the time. Mm-hmm. And the only representation on at the athletic is Mendez, right? Like there's not, there's not a ton in the way of, of mainstream coverage, I guess. Um, do you think that this sickos thing, as it kind of happened? Well, first of all, talk to me about, how that came about. I know you gave the interview to Ian, which was fantastic um, and a great piece for those of you listening, you should check it out um, about how this whole movement came about. Uh, so talk to me about a little bit about where the idea came from for this meme, because it w- I remember seeing it when it first happened and I'm like, that is just bizarre. Like, but it was funny, right? Like I really dug it. Um, did not expect it to kick off the way that it has. Um, and maybe you didn't either, but talk to me about the genesis of that thing. Uh, so I originally did it when last year, it's like the Sens only op- like, like the only optimism in the Sens fan base was like the draft, right? Everyone was pinning it all on the draft. And it's like, people were like, like had websites for like the rules of the tank tracker stuff like that. And it's like, they're like, people are excited. Like, oh yeah, LA won tonight, Phoenix won tonight. And oh, great, the Sens lost. I was like, man, this is just such a weird way to follow your team. And then I saw that sickos meme. I think it was a meme on like political Twitter. And then I just like slapped like the Sens hat and the foam finger on it. And anytime a reporter or someone made some comment about, you know, the Sens doing poorly or, and then I would just like post it with like no context. And like the first like five, 10 times I did it, like, like, like no one reacted to it. No, no one knew what it meant. And then like, I just kept doing it. And then like, you know, a couple of my buddies on there kind of caught on to it, thought it was funny and they started posting it. And then I think what made it grow so big is that I never put any context to it. I never said what it meant. I never captioned <laughs> it. And then, so it kind of just kind of took on its own meaning and it's gone from, you know, poking fun at us for cheering for the tank to all of a sudden just being like, you know, oh, ah, like the Hutchison's in tonight. <laughs> you know? It's been this, almost this infinity gauntlet for these Senators fans where it has just made them the most powerful fan base in hockey because nothing can hurt them now. Uh, it's there's, that's always been the thing where you see, you see Sens fans kind of, especially in the fallout of 2017 and the Carlson trade and everything like that, where you've just kind of had to take other people's ammunition away and go, yeah, I know we suck. I know we're terrible. I know ownership is whatever it is. And I know, you know, I know things are horrible as an Ottawa fan. So, but now where there is a little bit of optimism and fans are starting to feel excited about the team, despite the results that they see on the ice, it's, it's become this phenomenon. And I mean, I I feel like I already know the answer, but did you see it taken off in the way that it did? No, I really did not. I even, I thought it was kind of done after last season. I didn't expect it to pick up again. Like, I can't remember if it was me who started posting it again or it was just other people. Um, like, yeah, it just, it, it completely took off. It was after that, like that, that five, one comeback against Toronto. Like oh, that was yeah. just like, like the most sickos moment and everyone started posting it. And I think that's when everyone just kind of clued in. It's like, yeah, we're like the shit disturbers. Like you can't make fun of us and we're having fun. It's like, look, we're just having more fun than anyone. My my dad hates it, hates it. Like he's he's a Bru- he's a diehard Bruins fan. I don't know if that plays into it or if I he just finds my incessant Senators ramblings annoying. But every time they do a sicko thing, like they beat the Leafs, I send it to him, and uh, he goes like, 
see, he goes, seriously, I despise that picture. Stop it. It's stupid. You got to stop sending to me. Get so mad. Threatened to block me. And then he threatened to block me. After the last time they beat the Leafs, he threatened to block me. And so I sent it to him again, but with his face photoshopped on the sicko. And he did not find it amusing. My mother, I called my mom later and she was like cracking up, but, but he did not find it amusing. I think it's something that so perfectly encapsulates the spirit of this fan base um, where they kind of acknowledge their standing within the rest of the hockey universe, knowing they're, they realistically, they play little brother to Toronto and Montreal. And uh, it's hard to get mainstream coverage of the Sens. Even when they made that miracle run in 2017, they weren't quite getting their due. Um, Where do you think that spirit of, I don't even know what to call it. Maybe it's a resilience thing. Maybe it's kind of just self-deprecation. But but where do you think that comes from for, for fans of the Senators? I think it's just that, like, the Sens, like, have always been kind of been getting picked on. Like, like back back to when, uh, like, like in the Jacques Martin days, it's like the Leafs, like, on ice. Like, the Sens were as good as they were. Like, they were a small team. And, like, the Leafs, when had, like, Gary Roberts, all those tough two-way forwards. Those guys beat the crap out of Ottawa. And then, obviously, they beat them every year in the playoffs. Like the Sens always seem to choke is like there's always reasons to pick on the Sens, even though they're like the small market team. Everyone was making fun of them. There's just always reasons to make fun of the Sens. And like the past few years of this Melnick stuff, like it had been discussed to death, like within the fan base. And then it hit the mainstream media. Then it got discussed to death again. And then like it was just like everyone, like I think everyone's just had enough. It's like they no longer care. It's like, yeah, we know, like whatever, like the team sucks, the owner sucks. Yeah, the GM loves, you know, you have to be six foot five to play on the <laughs> play defense on this team. Like, like everyone's mad, but it's like, you know, whatever. Like, we'll just watch it. We'll have fun. And and I think Brady Kachuk is definitely that because he is like like the fan base, like personified. It's like, oh yeah. Like the team's down five nothing. He's like starting shit in the corner. He's still trying to score goals. Like and, and like he never gets mad. That's what's hilarious. Like he pisses everyone off, but he never loses his own cool. Mm-hmm. Not to the point where he ends up taking a stupid penalty or getting kicked out or something like that. I mean, I think the best example of that, and this is something I'll always, always remember about Brady Kachuk, is last year in that game in Philly, um, when things were not going right for the Sens, they were not playing particularly well, and Scott Lawton was kind of kicking their ass. I think he scored a goal or two or something like that, and he threw a headshot at Pajot that didn't get called, and it was kind of going missed that this dude was running roughshod over the team, and I think he had a bad hand or something, so he didn't want to fight, and Brady jumped him at the end of the game and pummeled him, and everyone was like, oh, dirty Kachuk, and even people in Ottawa were like, yeah, you know, that wasn't the best, but I remember saying, like, that is what this team has missed for a long time is a guy who is willing to do that. You know um, he put himself on the line to get suspended or whatever, but at the end of the day, it was for his team and it was to send a message that they were done being the league's doormat and that you weren't going to walk all over them. So, I mean, I think Brady, you're right, is, is the perfect encapsulation of that. I feel like there was, a shift once he started to establish himself uh, as, as a member of the team, you know, nobody will forget when he was drafted. I'll never live down the fact that I threw my hat across the room when they picked him. Uh, uh, did you have a similar reaction when they drafted Brady? Yeah. hundred like, <laughs> percent. Like after that, like I've stopped commenting on draft prospects. For sure. yeah. <laughs> it, it's like, it was, that's like, just like the hockey player with the familiar last name. It was like, Oh God. Like, like I didn't know anything about Brady Kachuk, but I was like, man, like, like this is, this is like picking, uh, you know, like what was it, like Jordan Stahl ahead of like Phil Kessel, I think. Like, yeah. I saw, I saw eight goals in college and I was like, Oh my God. I just, I, <laughs> I did, you know, I'm like, they can't score. Like what are they doing with this power forward grinder? But man, I was wrong. I was wrong as hell. Uh, but once he started playing and fans kind of started get to get to know his personality and his play style and the chemistry that he especially had with Mark Stone, it felt like there was a shift in the fan perception. I mean, people were still miserable after the Carlson trade, um, but it felt like things really started to pick up when Brady, when Brady came to town. I think, do you think it's fair to say that 
not only he started to shift fan perception of the team again, but that he softened the blow a bit when, when Mark Stone was traded. I mean, think of what Ottawa would have been like without Brady Kachuk with, you know, whoever they had as a first round pick. Um, and then Mark Stone gets traded. I feel like the fan base would have been even more miserable. Do you, do you kind of get that sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Like he totally did transition from like the Carlson stone era to the new era. Like, like, cause he was an NHL player, like right away, like his first year, he was like, what, like a 50, 45 point player or something like, yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he was good. Like right off the bat. And like, if the Sens had picked Zadina, I mean, like, he's like, he's, I don't even know if he's still in Detroit. He's like up and down between the minors right now or something. Like if that first year, if they didn't have Kachuk in, like, yeah, that would have, that would have been really miserable because there would have been no light. Like he was kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel. Like, yeah, like mm-hmm. this is the next period um, for Sens. And like, like, yeah, I totally did. And, and just like, like the, like spiritually, like he plays 20 minutes a game. Like he plays hard every second. Like that's something that the Sens haven't always had. Like, like it just it just felt like a breath of fresh air. Mm-hmm. He's cut from the same cloth as guys like Stone, but not not quite the same player. Um, I think that's probably the best way to put him. He's very much his own beast. Like, I don't think the Senators have ever had a player like Brady Kachuk. Um, you know, they probably had more talent. They definitely had more talented players, but they but they haven't had guys that quite have his uh, synthesis of skill and personality and leadership like he's a unicorn and and the fact that they landed him is i think it's going to be one of the best things that ever happened to the franchise long term getting back to the sickos because i didn't ask you this earlier and i wanted to when you first saw the team start putting them in the arena from that picture that they posted after the game uh, i forget which game it was and then you start seeing the cardboard cutouts in the arena what was that like? You know, that, that had to be like a surreal moment for you. Yeah, that w- really was. Cause like, I, I was surprised they kind of embraced it. Cause it's kind of self-deprecating. Like, kind of the joke behind it is that, yeah, like the team's bad. And uh, like, I, I love that they did it and they did it kind of before like the, the media had picked up on it. Like I thought if they would pick up on it, it'd be like at the tail end, maybe they'd slap it on a t-shirt or something. But I, I like it was just it was heartwarming. It's like yeah, like they listen they listen to the fan base now. Like they're interested in trying out new things, and like this whole new era of sends. It's like they're they're here to embrace it. It really does, you know. And not to take anything away from how miserable the last few years have been, but it really does feel like they are trying to turn over a new leaf. And and whether they succeed or they fail at it. Um, you look at everything from the 2D logo and the new jerseys, like that was that was a fan-driven movement. Um, what they did for Brian Fraser before he passed will always, you know, that'll always hold a special place in my heart, how good they were to him, how good the players like Brady and Thomas Shabbat were to him, and even the UND guys like Christian Milanen, who we'll talk about in a little bit, and uh, and the guys who are currently at UND. And now, and now this, um, I think it's the fact that they did it without stepping all over it and making it seem inorganic. You know what I mean? Like, like Bosti and I talked about this a little while ago where we were saying they embraced it, but they didn't try to make it their own thing or overdo it. They just acknowledged that the fans wanted this. This is how the fans felt. And they did it. And, and they did it. And you, you know, you have DJ Smith doing the yes, ha ha ha. Yes. <laughs> in, in an interview, you know, like it, it's just so perfect the way they done it. They've done it. Um, did that surprise you? Did did you have a little bit of in the back of your head going, oh, they're going to ruin this when the, when they first took it on? Yeah, I kind of not to gatekeep, but I kind of did feel like once they, they would bring it in too late and they would like misunderstand what it's about. I, I thought they could kind of kill it because like I don't know if it's their fault. But it's just the reality of pro sports. It's like everything just gets like focus group to death. And like, and even like when you do merchandise, it's like you have deals that you can only do it through, you know, only certain companies can make your merchandise. Like everything just feels so, just so corporate, like so lifeless. And this whole thing has just been the opposite. Like it's been just, it's injected so much personality into the team and the organization. And like, that's really what people want to see. They just want to see a bit of positive attitude and personality from the guys. Mm -hmm. And 
and then yeah like dj smith doing the yes ah yes like like it's the first time we've seen him kind of let his guard down and just be goofy and have fun and and that's what really all it's about is just being being yourself having fun being positive and yeah like getting rid of all that corporate crap it's like yeah like embracing the 2d logo like that was fantastic like i remember the old chief marking officer i think she mentioned in interview it's like oh like we did a survey of season ticket holders oh like, yeah yeah i was like okay like uh, i don't want to hear your survey it's like like go try something new yeah that um that era of the regime was was an odd one um I, i've told this story before but i remember after Mark Stone was traded, I wrote a pretty scathing article on the team and that in hindsight might have gone too far um, in some places. But I got a message from Nick Ruskowski, who was the COO, I think it was or whatever, that night. Uh, and he's saying, uh, if you have any questions or anything, I'm at your disposal. And I replied to him and I said, well, yeah, I actually have a lot of questions for you. I'd love to talk to you sometime and never heard back. Um, so... I think that plays into how a lot of fans were feeling through that era of the team, through the Carlson trade, through the stone trade. Um, I think they felt like they were screaming into the void, you know, um, they wanted Carlson to stay and he was traded. They really, really wanted stone to stay and he was traded and it just felt like you weren't being heard. And then they, and the next year, the same old, same old, they trot out those, ugly uniforms uh, you know uh, the downtown arena kind of falls apart like just felt like nothing was going right and the fans were never ever gonna get what they wanted so to have that now to have the sickos now and the 2d jerseys and everything i still can't believe that they've embraced the sickos thing the way that they have to tell you the truth like it, it's been such a pleasant surprise um yeah i mean and it really does go hand in hand with the product that we've seen on the ice it, it hasn't always been good but you can see the signs of improvement at least i think uh are you getting that sense as well um as a guy who supported the team for a long time and has stuck around through the difficult days of this rebuild uh are you seeing the pieces kind of come into play where this team could be a contender within the next you know maybe two three years yeah i, I think they really have i think like the biggest signs is like you have to look at the core because like, like you look at the guys like Brady, you know, Shabbat, Stutzla, Batherson. It's like these guys are still going to be here, you know, four or five years from now. It's like that's what you need to look at moving forward. It's like the core of the team. What, what it's and like, like they're gonna, still going to be here. And then plus like the drafting, like Dorian drafts pretty well. Like all those UND guys, like Hunter yeah, looks really God. good. Yeah, Bernard Docker looks great, and then you know Sanderson as well looks great. It's like. Those are those guys are just going to add to the core, and and that's what made the Sens good in the 2017 run. Like they weren't a deep team; it's just they had Carlson, Stone, Ajo, yeah, Ajo, yeah. That, that was a strong core, and those are all guys like they drafted. Like I really do think like this this will be a contender in a few years, and even right now, like I, I think most of the young guys have kind of exceeded expectations this season. And one thing like the forward, the forward group, like they're also, they're all very good defensively, mm -hmm. like Batherson, Brady, um, like the sense forwards, they all, and they all four check hard too. Like, like it's a good group of forwards, like at even strength, like they're actually like a decent team. It's just the goaltending is bad and the power plays bad. And like, I, I think those are things you can fix. Like, it's just like the core is there, the core is young. And I think in a few years with those added prospects, like this will be a great team. Mm -hmm. people quibble about deployment too and i mean yeah there's going to be lineup decisions that you don't like but i think a lot of it just has to do with figuring out what works you know this is <clears throat> this is a group that is so new to each other um you're right they do have the core guys like kachuk and batherson and stutzla and shabbat and white and nick paul but there's a lot of new additions to this team you look at a guy like evgeny dadinov who a lot of people have been frustrated with this year, but I'm like, look, you know, this is a dude who's a complimentary player that just went from playing with Huberto and Barkov to Paul and Tierney. 
you know, yeah. like the point, the points are not going to come in the same way as, as good as those guys are what they do. I think him getting time with Kachuk and Norris is going to be really good for him. We saw it a bit the other night. He had a gorgeous assist on Norris's goal. Um, but yeah, I think altogether you are kind of starting to see the pieces come into play. One thing I do want to talk about because it was the biggest news of today um, is Christian Milanen getting waived um, came as a shock to me. Uh, I, I did not expect him to, to expect the team to go that route, especially after you had DJ Smith saying a few days ago that they wanted to get Milanen an extended look. And now apparently it comes out that they've been trying to trade him and they couldn't get a suitor. So now they're just, they're ready to cut bait altogether. What was your reaction to the Willannon thing? And what are your thoughts on him as a player and the Sens cutting bait with him? Um, I honestly wasn't too surprised. Like, I know they did say the quotes about, you know, wanting to get him in the lineup, but like they still weren't really getting him in the lineup. Like, they had him scratched for so long. And when he did play, like, he wasn't playing, he was playing what, like, sometimes like 10 minutes a night yeah, like, like nine 10 minutes a night yeah like that like they're barely using him like i think like he like i i knew that whatever between him and the organization like it just kind of seemed like it was done and like i assume like if, if they're waving him now like i guess it's just that they're hoping someone claims him just to get rid of the salary like i i can't see them really keeping him in the ahl for long like they'll probably bring him back up just like they did with coburn and I think they've done that with a few other guys this year. Um, Zach Smith in the past, right? They just put him through waivers, see if anyone took him. But, like, he, he was good as a rookie year. But this season, like, I mean, I like to give guys the benefit of the doubt this year and just because, like, COVID, you know, all the off-ice stuff. And I know, like, he didn't play, like, all last season, basically. No, he was hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, it's like once you consider, like, the off-season plus not playing that season, that's, that's, like, that's like two years off, right? But like his like his defense really hasn't been great. Like I noticed in his own end, one thing that really bothers me is like as soon as the other D man gets the puck, like he jumps up too high. Like he just tries to get the play started too fast, and like that really comes back to bite him. Like in that Edmonton game a couple games ago, he was just like where like it was turned over, and he's just like way out of the play, and all of a sudden there's a guy alone out front, but like. But, like, he, he does have so much skill. Like, he's fast, and he makes, like, perfect stretch passes. Like, he does those bank stretch passes. Like, he does that terrific. But, I mean, like, regardless of his performance, like, he's still better than Coburn and Josh Brown. I I mean, I guess their assumption is they just would rather hope that someone claims Will Land and just to get rid of the salary. In the meantime, they can keep playing Coburn, who no one wanted to take. But, like, I the, the team is definitely worse off with Coburn than him in the lineup. I think so too. And that was the thing that didn't track for me. It's look, even if you are done or if you needed to waive a guy, you can put Coburn, Josh Brown, or good Branson through waivers and they're not going to get claimed. Like nobody's going to touch those guys, right? No disrespect yeah. to them. That's, that's just the way it is. Um, for Will Lannon, to your point about him defensively, you're, you're spot on offensively. He is so skilled. Um, but he does have a little bit of a chicken with its head cut off thing going on defensively. Um, he just looks like he grips his stick too tight in the defensive zone. He turns the puck over. He takes a bad penalty after he turns the puck over. Like there's just a panic mindset. It looks like sometimes and offensively he is so skilled. You're right. He's a great puck mover. He's a great second power play guy. I think the problem is Mike Riley has emerged to be as good, if not better offensively this year and has been indisputably better defensively. And it's the same thing that happened to Eric Brandstrom is guys are going to get bumped um, with Will And as far as he's concerned, I just don't understand getting just cutting bait with a guy who has clearly demonstrated a ton of upside if they send him to Belleville, I think he's going to dominate. And then I don't know where we are because he'll prove himself to be deserving of a call up. He still has to play, I think a few more games to, to maintain RFA status or, or he walks as a free agent in the summer. Um, you know, there's a minimum games requirement in his contract. I think it's a group seven free agent. It's called, it's really rare. It does not happen often because most teams will just dress the guy to maintain, uh, maintain contract control. Right. Um, but with him, it's, it's such a strange circumstance to be that willing to let this guy go. Um, 
you know, he's one of the most marketable players, I think, on the team. He's got a great personality. Um, by all accounts, his teammates love him. The fan, the, the organization has shown a commitment to him in the past, especially when he was hurt. And now to give up on the guy after he's played 15 games this season, it just doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense, does it? Like, no, it's like, especially like he, like, like he's been on thin ice all season. Like, it seems like the smallest mistake he's up in the press box. But then, like, some of the other guys on the defense, like, like how many games did Coburn get before they scratched him? Good Branson, Josh, too, right? Yeah, good Branson. Like, he's, he's been scratched once. Like, it's just, he's definitely gotten worse treatment than other guys on the defense. And like, he does seem to be well-liked and stuff. And I I don't know. I like this. I I think this is just has to be a financial move. It's, I don't know. It's really too bad. Like he he definitely has better upside than Josh Brown. Like, like if he can even be half as good as he was in his rookie year, like he can be fine as a sixth defenseman. Yeah. I mean, I think he had like 12 points in 38 games or something in his, in his rookie year. Like yeah. looked really good. And, and, you know, it's like we touched on, he has all the skill in the world offensively. It's just a question of what he's been able to do defensively, but for him to work that out, like play him, you know, like yeah. that, that, that's where I stand on it. I mean, he's got to work through it. Like the team's bad. Anyway, you're playing him on third, you're playing him third pairing minutes. I mean, he's a guy who probably has gotten everything he's able to get out of, the AHL. So you need to let him struggle through the NHL, make these mistakes and learn from. And there were people making the point today that while he's 26 years old, he's not a young player anymore. It's like he's in his third pro season and he has never played a full one. He didn't play a full season in his rookie year. Last year he got hurt, played three games in Ottawa last year. So really it's the second pro season. Um, And so, and now to just cut bait with the guy, I mean, I don't understand it. Like this is the perfect time to give him a shot to, to work through these things and to coach him up defensively. Maybe there's something else to it. Maybe he's not coachable. Maybe, uh, maybe they've really tried to make an effort with him and it just hasn't worked out. That's the part about these conversations that we'll never know. You know um, there could be a very good reason for waving him that we're not privy to. A lot of people freaked out when Schlopik was waved and then they found out he asked for it. Right. Yeah. So I, I, I think there is, you know, an element of that to it, but it just sucks. Cause he seems like a great guy and I was really hoping for him to work out and I hope it works out wherever he goes. Um, but let's talk about the goaltending a little bit uh, as we kind of wind down a bit here. Joey Decord gets hurt. Philip Gustafson comes in. It has really been a carousel of goaltenders for the senators this year. Um, one thing I want to get your take on, I wrote an article the other day about who the senators should protect at the upcoming expansion draft. And I, to me, it's down to Decord and Gustafson. And I ended up settling on Decord. I think just because he's the more proven asset Gustafson has really yet to have an exceptional season, even in the, in the American hockey league. So I think unless he comes out and like wins every game and backpacks the senators to a miracle playoff berth, I, I see Decord as the more sure thing and the more proven asset, but, but where do you land on it with those two guys? Yeah, I, I think I take Decord too. I, like, I think he looks NHL ready. The other thing with like Seattle's, they're claiming guys is like they're claiming guys that they need for their NHL roster. And like, as good as yeah. a prospect as Gustafson is, like he like he might not be NHL ready. And if they wanted to send him down, like if he gets enough games, and like they'd have to you know put him through waivers, right? So, yeah, like they're just gonna claim the best goalies like at that time. And yeah, like and Gustafson, yeah, like he really struggled in the minors. Like I was really like I'm kind of like pleasantly surprised with how he's been in the NHL. Um, like like he's looked really good. And like, yeah, as as he said, like if he keeps like if he maintains like a you know, like a nine ten or a nine ten save percentage, like I I'd probably I'd probably maybe protect him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I definitely would not protect Matt Murray. No. <laughs> He didn't even ask. <laughs> I mean, I, I like Matt Murray. I still, I think Matt Murray is going to rebound. Um, you know, maybe that's a bit of a hot take these days, but I just, I see a guy who's 26 has won two Stanley cups, um, you know, and it's like you said earlier about giving players the benefit of the doubt this season. You look at the Ottawa senators, they're terrible defensively. They get shelled on a nightly basis. Uh, so you have Murray in a new team, in new systems uh, for the first time in his career. 
Um, so I think he's going to be better than what we're seeing, especially as the team improves around him um, and working, getting a year to work with Pierre Gruel. And I, I, I think it, it'll bounce back, but when it comes to Seattle, I, I don't think they're taking that contract. I just don't. Um, when, it, you know, you talk about the other goaltenders that are going to be on the market, Auntie Ranta, it looks like he's going to be available because um, Darcy Kemper has a no movement that Arizona forced that, which forces Arizona to protect him. Um, so Ranta will be available. Um, Anton Hudobin is going to be available. Um, Pavel France, who's probably from Colorado. Like there's a lot of starting caliber goaltenders, or at least, um, backup caliber goaltenders that Seattle's going to be able to take for their NHL team. I think they probably, you know, there are people that think otherwise, but I think they probably take a Chris Tierney from Ottawa, a guy who can, you know, play in your bottom six or even your middle six, um, be a decent contributor, maybe kill penalties. We'll have to see how heavily they weigh analytics because I don't know that Tierney's, uh, Tierney's metrics are insanely flattering. Um, at least o- like over the broad span of his career. But I-, I think they tend to go more for a roster uh, player. But talk to me a little bit about how this season has looked for you as a fan. I mean, the whole Sickos thing has definitely added another another wrinkle to it. But these wins against, you know, Toronto and even Calgary that the Sens have really had their number – is it one of those things where you're kind of just going at you, you take it as it comes or, or do you still feel it a bit when they lose to teams? Like, or is it one of those things where you're just satisfied for them to be beaten up on rivals and other Canadian teams? I think, um, I, I think I, uh, my expectations were pretty low heading this season. So like the losses don't really phase me and every win just is like, it feels like the Stanley cup, like beating the Leafs, you know, it's like the team's in first place. They lose one game to Ottawa, and then everyone's like, oh, maybe we should trade Nylander. It's like, oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> like, this this is like our Stanley Cup. Mm-hmm. And, like, like you know, like, just looking at the roster, like, like yeah, this team's going to lose 7 nothing occasionally. Like, I, like I, I'm not really phased by the losses. I'm just trying to enjoy the growth of the young guys and just take whatever wins we can get. Yeah. And especially now, like, like as far as like tanking goes, like lottery odds, like, like they're so slim. Like it, it's not finishing last isn't really such a huge advantage anymore. It's not really worth stressing about. Mm-hmm. Well, you've seen how bad the senators have been over the last two years, and they didn't win the lottery either time. Even even Stutzler came with San Jose's pick. You know, yeah. like that's bananas to think about <laughs> to have a season as bad as Ottawa. And imagine if they didn't have that pick, and then they dropped to fifth. You know, like, oh, that would have been such a gut punch for this fan base. I mean, as good as Sanderson is, he's been phenomenal. Um, But yeah, in speaking of Stutzla, I like asking people what they think about him, because I know there was some conjecture at the beginning of the year about his defensive play and his, you know, metrics in his own end. What's your impression of this kid been? Has he lived up to your expectations? Has he exceeded your expectations? Has he not met your expectations? Like, like talk to me about your first impressions after 30 ish games of Tim Stutzla. I think, I think he's, he's exceeded my expectations. Like, I mean, he's a third overall pick. I mean, he probably wouldn't be third overall, you know, in last year's draft or the year before, like, like he, he looks phenomenal. I, I think. The other thing that people forget is that he played on like the German ice, which is bigger, right? Yeah. yeah. So like not only had he, he had to transition to like a, the NHL, which is like a better league, you know, everyone's bigger, everyone's faster. You also get used to smaller ice. Like that was a huge, like, like it was just like throwing him in the deep end basically, and especially putting him on lines with players who like weren't really suited to his play style. Like, like, like I wasn't surprised as metrics tanked and, like as far as the defense goes, like I did note it, like it is kind of visible that he's not great defensively, but he still works like as hard as he possibly can. Mm-hmm. Like, like he's charging guys off the puck. Like he's really working hard. Like it's, it's not for a lack of effort. I, I just think it's a, it's a lack of experience in like defenses. Like, like as much as, as important as it is to be fast and have a good stick and be strong. Like it's a lot of mental stuff that you just got to learn through experience. And yeah, he, he just seems like a, you know, like one of those like Crosby tights where he's just like so dedicated, like everyone in the NHL works hard, but like, it seems like he works way harder than everyone else. And like, I'm not worried that he's going to be a 
you know, a bad defensive player in the future. And like, I think his metrics have picked up lately too. They have. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm, you know, like I'm really not concerned about him. Like I think the defense is not really going to be an issue going forward. Mm -hmm. And defense is one of the most coachable things too. You know, like you can, you can coach a kid how to play, play defense, but you can't coach skill. And some of the skill he has is like, I've been watching this team since 07. I was about eight years old and he is far and away, I think, the most skilled player they've ever drafted. He's definitely the most skilled forward. I mean, Carlson might, you might, you know, consider Carlson to be the more skilled player, at least in his prime, but this, he's unbelievable. Like, I can't compare him to anything that I've seen come through the Senators. Um, as a guy who followed the earlier iterations of the team through the early, earlier 2000s, and I mean, you saw guys like Marion Hossa and Martin Havlat and Jason Spezza kind of have their first taste of NHL action, and you saw them grow within the Senators' system. Is there a guy that Stutzler reminds you of? Like, does he evoke anything? Like, how would you compare him to those guys like Hossa, Havlat, Spezza, the, the truly skilled players that came through Ottawa? I think it would be Spezza. It's like when Spezza came, like everyone knew there'd be growing pains. And like, obviously like Jacques Martin wasn't big on him. I mean, the Sens were in a different situation back then. Like they were like, they couldn't let him play poor defensively every night. Right. Like they needed to be a good team every game, but like he definitely has that Spezza in him. It's like, he just like, everyone knows like, like this guy's going to be good. And like, even though like he's not all there, like you can see the tools, like the stuff, like the quick hands, the agility, like those are hard things to learn. And like, he just has that. And like, even though it's like a one-on-one situations, you see defensemen like backing up, like they're, like they're Mm -hmm. afraid of like, like, like the one-on-ones with them. Like, like he just has that natural ability. Like you just know right away, like, like this guy's going to be good. Mm -hmm. And like, it's just like, having me having him on your team like it gives you like a bit of swagger that you have kind of like the next big thing there yeah man this has been awesome i really appreciate you coming on before i let you go here and get ready to watch the sends hopefully beat the leafs again one thing i do want to get your take on is where do you see this team going in the future um are you comfortable that this rebuild um, for however flawed it may have been and adding another, what's probably going to be another high pick this year. Do you think this is a core that is going to resemble that one from the early two thousands that led up into, you know, that 2007 run, or are you a little more, maybe not pessimistic, but cautious about it? Like, like how are you feeling about the long-term trajectory of this rebuild? Um, honestly, I'm pretty optimistic about this rebuild long-term. Like this, actually this number one pick could be the final piece. Like I really do think they need a number one center and, you know, I, I don't know any of the, uh, any of the draft guys, but like, you know, if they can get a number one center, I think Stutzla is that guy. Um, you know, I think that this, I think the top of this draft is defenseman heavy. So if anything, they'll take a defenseman or maybe a right winger, but, but yeah, sorry, not to cut you off, but, but yeah, I think they have their number one guy in Stutzla. Do you get that sense too? Or is um, it... They need to play him at center first. I think. Well, yeah, he's got to, he's got to learn the NHL game first. <laughs> got to probably put on about 20 pounds too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely yeah. Like he's got a couple things to work on. Which don't you find it surprising that like they're not giving him a shot at center like now? No, I don't. Um, and the reason is uh, he is one. He's still getting acclimatized, right? Like that's evident. He's still learning what he can and can't get away with. Um, you see him try to make moves around guys or make plays that try to force plays that they don't work and they result in turnovers or what have you. Um, and also he is comparatively small to other centers in the NHL. Uh, Even McDavid, who's a smaller guy, is really strong in his lower half, and what he lacks in strength, he makes up for in speed. Um, Stutzler's fast, but he's not McDavid fast. Um, So so in that, to that sense, no. Um, I think we'll probably, if he's not moving there full-time next year, we'll at least start to get a look at him. Um, I think it's going to depend on his offseason and you know, the thing is too, there's so much defensive responsibility that goes with playing center. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. Um, you have end to end responsibility below your own goal line and below the other team's goal line. Um, so to put that on a kid who is transitioning from Europe on a terrible defensive team, um, who probably doesn't have the size just yet, it, 
it doesn't shock me, you know? That, that's a fair point. And it's true. Actually, the best players are all centers. So, mm-hmm. like, he, he would be matching up against much better yeah. players. Do you want him going against, like, Matthews, Tavares, and McDavid, and Dreisaitl, especially this year, right? Like, yeah. you're just inundated with quality centers. And even in Vancouver, guys like Pedersen, and even Horvat's a tough guy to match up against. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, I... You know, I, I don't see, I see the benefit to maybe getting him some reps in games that get out of hand. Like we saw against Edmonton, I think it was when they were getting blown out um, and they gave him some reps at center. Like why not in, in games like that, who cares? Um, but on games where, you know, the senators do need to win some games, you know, like in order to build a culture and build an identity, you have to, and to buy into a system, you have to win some hockey games. So I think in closer games, it's better to have him play on the wing, have an impact. Um, he's shown that he does, right? Like him and Batherson have this instant chemistry. It's phenomenal to watch. Oh, yeah. But I think we will get to a point where you're seeing him center a line with Brady Kachuk and maybe Batherson, which I mean, how fun is that going to be? Right. Yeah. But, but yeah, I, t- to answer your question, I'm not shocked about it, but yeah, like, you know, I think, I still think he's their guy long-term. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, that's fair. But he does kind of have a lot on his plate this year already. Exactly. That's a good point. And it's not like, I mean, it's not like they're going to be contenders next year too. Right? Hell no. <laughs> no, they, I, I expect them to be in the playoff mix next year, but I like the way I see it is if all goes well, um, if they get some reinforcements from college, maybe Pinto, I think Jacob Bernard Docker is a lock to probably make this team next year, um, yeah. just given their situation on the right side. And then from there, um, you know, maybe playoffs next year, hopefully playoffs next year. And then you're looking at contention within two to three years. Do you kind of see that similar path or, or do you think it's going to be longer? Oh yeah. like, I can totally see them being uh, contenders within, you know, like two, three years. But as far as like the, that 2007 team, it's kind of tough. I think they have, they would need a few more guys with like kind of all star ceilings. Yeah, like that team, like guys like they had so many guys who exceed expectations. Like Chera, Hosa became you know all star players, and you know Chera was a third round pick. Hosa was, I mean, he was, I think he was just outside the top ten. Yeah, yeah. And and then yeah, Alfred's in fifth round pick. Like I think they need one one or two more guys with kind of those low level uh, ceilings to kind of get there. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, I think that's this still will be a, a terrific core group. Yeah. But I think the thing that concerns me is really is like the Melnick factor, like that 2017, like all, like they had a great core. It's just, they were missing a second D pair and maybe another Pajot type, right. To yeah. you know, take on some minutes and kill penalties. I mean, the cap was low too. Right. And like, I mean, that those seven years is so tough because I feel like, not to go off on too much of a tangent, but I feel like if they had matched up with anybody but Anaheim that year, they win the cup. But oh, but yeah. Anaheim was such a bad matchup. They were so big and they just bullied Ottawa, like in both ends of the ice, right? Like yeah. you're matching the the Spezza, Heatley, and Alfredson line against like Todd Marchant and Rob Niedermeyer. And it's like, God, like, what are you going to do? And like Pronger on the blue line with, with, the, with Scott Niedermeyer, it's like, Good God. Like, what was that yeah. team supposed to do? And Jagir took up the whole net. Like, he was yeah. massive. There, pro- there had to be some equipment violations. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you're right. I think they are a few pieces away. Um, that year, their depth in the bottom six was such a big thing for them. I mean, your top two centers are Jason Spezza and Mike Fisher. And then from there, you have Antoine Vermette and, and Chris Kelly and you had Dean McCammond. Um, even guys like Saprikin were pretty good, you know, when they played. And Neil, of course. Yeah. Um, I think you're right. I think in order for them to truly be a contending team, they do need to round up their forward depth. Um, but I know there are people. Let me ask you this before we before we sign off here. I asked Brent Wallace when I had him on the show around the draft, do the Ottawa Senators win the Stanley Cup within the next 10 years? And he pretty emphatically said no. Uh, so I'm going to ask you, do you think the Ottawa Senators win the Stanley Cup within the next 10 years? Oh, uh, I would say if, if Melnick, uh, unfortunately I have to say if, if Melnick's going right, I kind of feel like leaning towards a no, like as much as I love this core group, like you, you do need to drop an extra, you know, 10, 15 million to add some supporting guys. And like, honestly, like it's hard to win the cup. Like let's people forget it's like 30, it's going to be a 32 team league. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to win a Stanley cup. Um, 
Well, look at but, Vegas the past few years, right? Like the good teams they've had, like they were, they looked like they were on a mission last year. Then you get knocked off by the Dallas stars in the, yeah. in the conference final or that fluky game against San Jose where the five minute penalty killed them. Right. Like there's so much that goes into it. Right. And you're right. You yeah. do need to be up against the cap and you know, as positive as the indications have been in signing guys like Thomas Shabbat long-term and signing a guy like Dadanov, uh, like a marquee free agent, like Dadanov to a three-year deal. I don't know, man. Like, especially when the cap goes up again, it, it's going to be tough. Yeah. But like, I mean, that being said, like looking at Dallas, like anything can happen. Like you, you like That's things true. can go your way, right? You get the right matchup. Maybe, maybe you get a bit lucky. Other team has some injuries. Like, like Tampa won the cup, but like, like they underperformed in the playoffs so much. Like, like they were constantly getting beat by worse teams in them. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I don't know. I guess anything can happen, but it's hard. There, there are a lot of good teams in the NHL. Yeah. All you need a lot of the time is a hot goalie. Hudobin did that last year. And even Craig Anderson was that in 2017, right? But listen, oh, yeah. man, I, I don't want to keep it too much longer. Uh, I really appreciate you doing the show. Uh, and I really appreciate what you've done with this Sen Sickos thing because it is one of the, the simultaneously one of the most fun, bizarre, but also one of the coolest things that I have seen uh, come across this fan base in a long time. So, so thank you for coming on and thank you for pioneering uh, what is, I guess, turned into the next pesky Sens thing, you know? <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks for having me. I'm glad you like the Sickos as much as I do. And and thank you for all the all the blogging and podcasting you do, all that free content out for Suns fans. Oh, you shouldn't be thanking Even... me for you shouldn't be thanking <laughs> me for that. You know, <laughs> you get what you pay for and you get it for free. So <laughs> but yeah, thank you for coming on, dude. And thank you folks for listening. Uh, this has been another episode of Internal Budget. Make sure you follow Chris at Prochensky. You can follow me for some reason at Brandon Mackey underscore. Check out the writing at Silver Seven Sends dot com please stay healthy stay safe and will you get another episode next week yes ha 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 yes take care everybody